Welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. So Eric, yeah. what is it like to be Eric? I scream and I hear things reflected back at me and that's where I know where they are. <laughs> that's how you know you exist. <laughs> <laughs> Similarly, that is the experience of every uh, metal band. <laughs> <laughs> Although probably they're they're playing their guitar so loud they can't hear the the echo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I think this extended metaphor went a little bit too far. Um, yeah, so today we're talking about, uh, article, What's It Like to Be a Bat? by Thomas Nagel. Yeah. So Trevor, how did you come across this article? Uh, I think I had heard it mentioned, like, various times on, like, uh, some philosophy podcasts I listened to, like, like, a couple different ones. Mm. Um, and, uh, just kind of, like, in passing or, like, like. Yeah, just referencing Nagel's essay, what is it like to be a bat? And mm. um, yeah, I think Very Bad Wizards did like a whole episode on it. And that's when I decided to finally read it. Ah, um, so now, now, we, now we really are copying Very Bad Wizards. <laughs> 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 if you're listening, guys, we, we love your stuff and yeah. uh, super inspired. Yeah. Keep up the good work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I actually I didn't realize how old it was, but um, it it was written in in 1974, which is like almost 50 years ago now. Yeah, it really must have been groundbreaking at the time. Mm -hmm. I guess that that's probably why it's so influential. Yeah, this was a really compelling article. I I really thought it was speaking uh to a lot of a lot of truth. Mm-hmm. Stuff that it maybe isn't the most obvious, um, or at least the way I, I feel like the way a lot of discussions about perception and reality tend to go is a lot of the people I talk to kind of speak as though they haven't heard this perspective, and, and that's why I think this uh, can be such a a valuable piece of work. Yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty humble and, and like not making any, any big claims about what we actually know. It's more of uh 
a criticism of people who who say that they they figured it out and it's a, a simple explanation yeah um so it starts with talking about this idea of semantic externalism i had to look up what this is um, <laughs> Do you have do you have a, a concept of what that means? Uh, let me look at where it's mentioned. Sure. Well, I'll just tell you right now. I have the quote from Wikipedia. Semantic externalism is, in the philosophy of language, semantic externalism is the view that the meaning of a term is determined in whole or in part by factors external to the speaker. Hmm. So what does yeah. that mean to you? <laughs> uh, factors external to the speaker. So not external to the word, but factors external to the speaker. Mm -hmm. So what I think it's getting at here is like, if you see lightning and you say it's lightning, it it doesn't matter your perspective on it. It is what it is. Right, mm -hmm. like that that word lightning. Even if you don't know what lightning is on a fundamental level, it's still lightning. Yeah, is it kind of saying that even if two people think different things about some phenomena, that it's it is whatever it is, separate from that? Yeah, I think that's that's true. Is that the same thing as saying there's like an objective reality that's different than what we're mm. perceiving? Yeah, I think I think it's it's uh, very closely tied with that idea and that um, jumping way ahead to the end, uh, he talks about how further understanding in objectivity versus subjectivity is necessary in order to really grasp this idea. Yeah, yeah, because it's not as simple a distinction as as uh, as it might seem. Mm -hmm. What what that actually means? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the uh, where's the part where he mentions what the word is means when you're like explaining to a like a kid how something works. Uh huh. Like like the the it's the uh, matter is energy thing. Yeah. Right. And you can say that, and someone can think they understand that, but they don't actually understand it unless they they like learn about relativity and stuff and but there there actually is an explanation for mm -hmm. why matter why matter is energy um and we don't have an explanation like that for for consciousness yeah you just have to say like information processing is consciousness or the brain mm -hmm. structure is is producing consciousness or something yes yeah so one of the things that he says uh one of the main points of this article is I do not deny that conscious mental states and events cause behavior, nor that they may be given functional characterizations. I deny only that this kind of thing exhausts their analysis. So I think what he's saying here is that you can have uh, a reductionist materialist perspective that says, you know, like, thoughts are only the mechanical structures in the brain um and and like while it is a self-sufficient model to have that uh, that kind of explanation 
it's not catching the whole picture because it can't explain consciousness. It leaves consciousness out altogether, and so it can't explain it. Right, it's leaving the subjective part out. It's like not even mentioning the subjective part. So like it, how can it how can it explain how the subjective part connects to the yeah. what's happening in the brain? Yeah, exactly. So before we go any further, why don't we give a little summary of what this article is about? Yeah. Um, so, so the title of the article is, what is it like to be a bat? And it actually predates the, the term hard problem of consciousness by about 20 years, I think a little more than 20 years. Um, cause that was coined by David Chalmers in the nineties, but it tries to, I think the main point is that it tries to come up with this, like the, <laughs> even just the question of, of what it means to be conscious. And basically what he what he comes up with is this uh what is it like kind of language like mm. what is it like to to be a person yeah and he uses this metaphor of being a bat yeah and i think that the reason he says he cho- chooses a bat is that uh well it's a mammal right and and yeah. people would would agree that mammals are conscious um because they're mm-hmm. similar enough to us um but they're kind of alien enough and that they use echolocation and that's like their their main mode of perception, which is fa- fairly hard for us to to comprehend what that must be like, like mm-hmm. subjectively. Although he he does say like blind people can can learn to do some kind of uh like coarse version of that. Yeah, and in fact, I saw a TED talk by a guy named Daniel Kish, who uh, is blind from birth and has learned to navigate the world using echolocation. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> and ever since I saw that, I have actually kind of been more aware sonically of this sort of uh, phasing effect that happens with sounds reflecting off of objects. Yeah, yeah, and it's a slight tangent, but um, people mm-hmm. have also developed these devices uh, that will, like, vibrate in specific ways, and they can help people uh, who are deaf here, or I think that's the main the main thing right now but they can actually uh distinguish fairly quickly they can learn fairly quickly to to tell what different sounds are just from different patterns of vibrations in their i think it like goes on their wrist or something wow cool. um or like is worn in a pack on their body and um we're recording this like a week or so after elon musk did this kind of like highfalutin demo with Neuralink, <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know a lot a lot of people are saying like uh the, the far more like practical and, and uh more within reach path is is these kinds of like augment sensory augmentation with uh mm. with like more le- less invasive means yeah <laughs> kind of simpler simpler means <laughs> yeah I, i've seen black mirror i don't want them sticking that thing in my brain yeah <laughs> <laughs> but anyway this is like kind of a tangent on a tangent on a tangent yeah. Yeah. uh let's bring it back so yeah. Uh, so why did he choose a bat in particular? Well, it's it's alien enough that it's hard for us to imagine what it would be like. Mm. Uh, but we have to imagine that it's having some kind of subjective experience because it's similar so, enough to us yeah. biologically. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, like like I said, his main point is to basically caution people that it's not as simple as as pro- providing some kind of. Uh, explanation about about what's happening in the brain yeah uses the consciousness so he says that and i quote 
but fundamentally an organism has conscious mental states if and only if there is something that it is like to be that organism, something it is like for the organism. And he goes on to say, we may call this the subjective character of experience. Mm-hmm. One thing that threw me about this language at first is the term like, which he does mention this in a footnote, but uh, at first I was thinking to be like it, is he saying that it needs to be like a comparison to something else in order to ex- understand it? Or um, is he? does he simply mean that it has to have describable attributes about their experience? Yeah, I don't think he's using it as a, as a comparative mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's using the word like in kind of a, a strange way, but I think, I think it's, it's not too hard to, to yeah. get what he means. Yeah, it's, it's a colloquial, and he, and he goes out of his way to, to clarify that, yeah, that's what he means, just to have describable attributes. Mm-hmm. But he, he also says, uh, so he says that reflection of what it is like to be a bat seems to lead us, therefore, to the conclusion that there are facts that do not consist in the truth of propositions expressible in a human language. We can be compelled to recognize the existence of such facts without being able to state or comprehend them. Uh, can you explain that to me? Yeah. So, like, he, I think later he mentions that, like, uh, it's possible there are very advanced alien beings who w- would have that language and would be able to explain uh, conscious experiences such that we would actually experience them. Mm. I think that's kind of what he means. But our just the way our brains have evolved we can't we can't do that with our current language yeah because one of the things that is challenging about understanding something is taking yourself out of the picture like to to, to understand lightning again um our only experience of it is is the human experience of lightning uh, all, all of the physical traits about that that we experience and all the things we know about it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, all 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 we're describing is what it's like to experience lightning as a human. Mm-hmm. And if, if you have an alien come down and experience lightning without any concept of, of what it is to be a human, they're ex- still experiencing physical phenomena they don't have the same concept of lightning that we do right right have you heard of the the um mary the color scientist thought experiment no okay so that's uh there's this uh (laughs) scientist named mary who her entire life has taken place in this uh black and white room Mm -hmm. and she studies color and uh how it uh what what happens in the brain to make us able to perceive it and you know it's it's how dif- different la- wavelengths work um to make us perceive different colors and uh you know she does this for a long time and gets this very thorough understanding and has learned basically every fact about color and how it uh uh is perceived in the brain and then the question is when she sees the color red does she learn something new interesting <laughs> wow and to me the answer seems to be a pretty obvious yes but i don't know about you 
Yeah, it it's like on an abstract level, like I could make a case for no. I could say, like, if she really understands everything there there is, and I don't mean understand simply in uh, an intellectual sense, but like having a core experience of that. Yeah, that's that's the point, right? Like, you can't understand it unless you have an experience of it. Um, mm-hmm. But the question, uh, which is, I guess, the sev- the same question you had posed earlier about like a, a sufficiently advanced alien form of communication that could like describe an experience to you and have you actually have that experience, like mm-hmm. maybe it is possible um, if if you have all of the information about it mm-hmm. to have that experience. Yeah. Oh, but that's that's wild though because I think no, I think that doesn't work because all all the all that experience that they could communicate is what it's like for an entity such as them to experience red and not red itself. Right. I think actually I might have misremembered uh Actually, I think I might have misremembered the uh, exactly what he says. Uh, I think he says something more like that they their language could actually describe fully that they could basically explain consciousness and phenomenology not necessarily that it would make us experience the color I think <laughs> I think that came from like a Vsauce video or something <laughs> also 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 possibly true that that such a language could exist mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't well know if that's what I, I, th- I think that connection is is okay though because he he begins this article um, talking about you know, he he brings up the mind-body problem, but he also brings up what he calls the water H2O problem and the lightning electrical discharge problem and the mm. Turing machine IBM machine problem, which I have no <laughs> idea what he's talking about there. <laughs> yeah, I think that one gets pretty technical. Um... So so it, so it's okay because he he's already making that connection between like the the physical representation of of physical objects and our concepts of that and drawing that connection to the mind body problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So a really pivotal implication that he's making here to me is that consciousness is inherent in the act of perceiving. Hmm. Uh, can you say more about that? Yeah. So, so back to that, that quote, but fundamentally an organism has conscious mental states if, and only if there is something that it is like to be that organism something that it is like to be that organism so that what that means is to have attributes um so that means to have physical form right like a particular shape like there's particular things you can say that describe that particular experience mhm and yeah and so and so like to 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 have an experience of something your physical body your your mental like the, the the structure of your brain represents what that experience is right 
yeah or maybe, maybe not the structure in your brain but the way it's it's processing information and the, and this, the electrical signals that are sure yeah and and, and yeah. i i bring all of matter and energy into the same category as that structure mm-hmm. so like your, your current mental state is a mm-hmm. physical structure that represents um the idea of of what your experience is mm-hmm. yeah and that's something that could maybe be mathematically described mm-hmm. um there's this guy um who's alive now and been working on this stuff uh julio tononi and uh he he's come up with some some kind of holistic mathematical theory that, that attempts to describe it um and something you said also reminded me of uh he talks about like the the essential components of of conscious experience Mm -hmm. um which is basically the first thing is that it's it's structured so you know you can you can like distinguish certain certain things from other things right it's not all just like this this like blob of of yeah uh, experience exactly um mm -hmm. and then also that it's uh it's different from every like possible experience you could have like of, of the, the billions or trillions mm. um that it's uh uh yeah it's, it's distinct and kind of unique um and then also even though you can distinguish things you can't really separate them like they have to be part of a whole wow oh that's fascinating <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then so that's called integration and then the last thing he talks about is uh exclusion which is that you can you can only have you know one one experience at a time Mm. okay that's really fascinating that ties into (laughs) some things i wanted to bring up in relation to this article um awesome yeah so so to talk about having attributes to say i am this and i am that is what it is to be there right that that's kind of what he's saying like if if x is true about me and y is true then i am this identity right uh i don't know if he's saying anything about identity it's more about like the experience itself okay but um i think we can draw a direct connection between the experience and the identity because the physical organism the structure represents that experience right uh like like for example if you're thinking about certain things like if if you get a, a your your brain scanned like certain areas light up right and then if you're thinking about other things other areas light up yeah they actually so that's called like fmri uh-huh functional mri right and they've actually i i saw i think within the last couple months or something there was a study that came out that showed that those areas aren't consistent like even on the same subjects after a certain period of time mm. which doesn't doesn't totally like debunk it but it, it yeah. kind of punches a big hole in, in that i mean it's interesting because the the, the body is evolving and, and i mean your mind is constantly in flux right so that would kind of make sense but yeah but but the the fact that to have a thought changes your mental state like you you can accept that right like yeah totally and and i mean changes the the physical state of your brain right Mm -hmm. um like where those electrons are in space Mm -hmm. so 
what it is to be is to say I am X and I am Y but I am not Z right like you're not everything you're saying I have these particular attributes and that is why I am that identity I am that physical structure as it is so, so when I use this language about identity to me that's a direct corollary to saying about experience okay like your identity is it, it's, it's, it's just a, a different way to phrase it it's a different language it's like rather than saying I experience X you're saying I am the one who experiences X, right? It, it, yeah, it's, I mean, well, you could. It's the same. Can you concept. also just say that that it's it's the same thing? It's like you, like consciousness is the only thing that exists, and you are your conscious experience, and not your not your body, like that kind of thing. Um, and not well. Tell me more. <laughs> Well, well, like, uh, okay. So this is this is uh, a. <laughs> have you ever seen that that YouTube? Uh, it's like a PBS show, uh, Closer to Truth. No. It's uh, this guy who just talks to a bunch of scientists and philosophers about like this exact kind of thing, mm. and I just, I just like <laughs> binge watched a bunch of those episodes. Just episodes, just like took notes on these different people. So so, uh, Deepak Chopra is one of these these people who believes that. Uh, everything is consciousness like everything is is made of consciousness and that's the only thing that we can say to really exist and he actually has said that bio uh biology is an emergent property of consciousness okay so like your your physical body is a manifestation of you perceiving the the region of the universe that your consciousness is coming from yeah yeah i've been saying that for years <laughs> yeah that's, yeah yeah <laughs> i guess that's what i'm saying Okay, cool. Um, yeah, but to me, it's important to recognize that the the biology is still there, right? It doesn't disappear just just because we are the consciousness. We still have that body that represents our consciousness. Yeah, yeah, sure. And to have an identity is to say that you have particular experiences if that's the case mm -hmm. yeah so then yeah yeah okay cool so we're on the same page um, yeah so right because if you were wholly infinite if you were everything you would have no discernible attributes and so it wouldn't make sense to say that you exist right <laughs> right well it uh I mean, that's interesting. I, I don't know about that. Cause, because cause, if, if like something like panpsychism is true, then the whole universe could be one conscious entity. And we just wouldn't mm -hmm. know it because we're this one little piece of it. Yeah. But um, yeah. And so there, there is a question there. But when I say wholly infinite, I'm talking about like true infinity, you know, the possibility of every single experience that could be yeah like, i think it would still be the same thing like it could, it could be something to be be like that whole thing i don't think so i think that uh that nature of infinity is that 
the moment you define yourself as a whole unit, you are you become finite rather than infinite. That is to say, there's always something more than that thing that you've just defined yourself as. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. So infinity plus one, right? <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I mean when I say that if you were wholly infinite, you would have no discernible attributes, right? You, you couldn't exist because you can't say I am X and I am Y, but I am not Z. Yeah. If this dude's theory is correct. <laughs> uh, which I, I, I'm, I buy it. Um, mm -hmm. and I think we can talk about why. Um, but mm -hmm. so what, what this tells me though, is that to exist, to be present, um, you have to be imperfect. You have to be non-infinite. You have to be incomplete, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, now, now I'm just thinking about like, what if, what if infinity itself has something to do with, with consciousness and it's like completely the opposite? What do you mean? I don't really know, but <laughs> just stick her to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this, I mean, I haven't read Godel, but doesn't he have something about incompleteness? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of along the same lines of of uh, like they're they're uh, so kind of like Nagel's talking about with with the um like a true explanation of consciousness it might be just outside of our language and outside of our the structure of our brain mm. um Gödel's incompleteness theorem is that uh uh within a certain formal system um like a mathematical formal system for producing logic and stuff um there are things that are true that you can write that you can't uh prove within the system mm. or you, you can't get to within the system okay like uh, living in a world of where where you're just the shadow of a higher dimensional world. Right. I was I was when I was in Amsterdam. I was living in this really tall apartment building, and I would go out onto the roof in the evening and I'd look down at the shadows of the buildings, playing across the smaller buildings and the park, and I was looking at the the curvature of the shadow and at the time I was reading Michio Kaku uh, so I was, I was pretty influenced by that um, <laughs> where he starts talking about non-Euclidean geometry and flatlanders and so mm -hmm. I, then I was thinking like to have an experience where you're in a finite number of dimensions it's kind of like you're stuck in the shadow right and there's these mysterious forces that are acting upon you that if only you were able to look in that extra dimension, you could see, well, it's not mysterious forces. It's just the form of the higher dimension playing across the lower two. Right. Like the, the example I always think of with that is like if you were in a 2D flatland and like a cone pass through your world mm -hmm. you would just see this like circle that grew bigger <laughs> yeah and like grew bigger and bigger and then just like disappear and you'd be like what the fuck <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah 
and there's there's no way to understand that. But it's, it might be kind of related. I mean, the 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 example that he keeps coming back to in uh, Good Old Escherbach, uh, that Douglas Hofstadter keeps coming back to is um the the statement uh this sentence is false. Right. And if you uh try to import that into a formal system, weird stuff happens where you can end up uh proving that there there are things that exist outside the system that are uh <laughs> <laughs> true but you can't get to them <laughs> and and people have shown that it's that's not just true for for like you know weird you know weird statements like that mm -hmm. when i was in that sound practices class with hunter you and so so hunter gave us this homework assignment create one minute or less of audio to convince me of something this was the, the assignment and Aiden's mm -hmm. was uh, like a five second clip of himself saying, I did not complete the assignment. <laughs> Wait, Hunter said one minute or less? One minute or less. Yeah. <laughs> did, did he did he did he pass <laughs> it's impossible to say <laughs> there was one footnote that i thought was like really uh so he says we may imagine something by representing it to ourselves either perceptually sympathetically or symbolically i shall not try to say how symbolic imagination works but part of what happens in the other cases is like this to imagine something perceptually we put ourselves in a conscious state resembling the state we would be in if we perceived it to imagine something sympathetically we put ourselves in a conscious state resembling the thing itself yeah i didn't understand that when i read that what does what does that mean to you so i think what he's saying by that is that uh we think we can imagine what it's like uh, to actually perceive something um, and also be in a different brain state than the, what would be implied by the by the thing we're perceiving, but we can't actually do that in reality. Right. So he says, uh, where the imagination of physical features is perceptual and the imagination of mental features is sympathetic, it appears to us that we can imagine any experience occurring without its associated brain state and vice versa. The relation between them will appear contingent, even if it is necessary, because of the independence of the disparate types of imagination. So what's that saying to you? So he's saying that the, the relation between the two can seem like kind of arbitrary or by chance because cause the two types of imagination, imagination are different, um, but they're actually like interrelated yeah, so which are the saying. two types of imagination so there's uh, perceptual imagination and sympathetic imagination and what would be an example of each so he says when we try to imagine a mental state occurring without its associated brain state we first sympathetically imagine the occurrence of the mental state that is we put ourselves into a state that resembles it mentally so if you're trying to like uh uh like imagine what it would feel like to to, you know be at the altar, altar getting married mm. um you'd imagine kind of you know whatever feelings you would be feeling when you're up there right like all the emotions and thoughts that were running through mm. your head so that's sympathetic imagination 
and then he says at the same time we attempt perceptually to imagine that non-occurrence of the associated physical state by putting ourselves into another state unconnected with the first one resembling that which we would be in if we perceived the non-occurrence of the physical state so like you, you would imagine yourself like not at the altar at all um maybe just some unrelated scenario that has like none of the overlapping uh emotions associated with it like i don't know like doing your homework or something <laughs> uh, wait, how, how does that relate to getting married uh it doesn't that's that's the the point that the state is unconnected so you're you're the point is that you're trying to trick yourself into thinking that you can have like a uh you can imagine having your your mental perception being in a certain state without actually having your brain being in that state i think that's what he's trying to say i don't get it because <laughs> he because he says uh that's what he, he means when he says it appears to us that we can imagine any experience occurring without its associated brain state. Like we, we, I think we all have this perception that like we have enough control over our brain to uh, be able to experience something and just like shut off whatever the, uh, the associated brain state is and just like cut, you know, cut ourselves off from it. But we can't actually do that um, in reality. Mm. And he, so the, where that footnote comes in is he said, if mental processes are indeed physical processes, then there is something it is like intrinsically footnote to undergo certain physical processes. What it is for such a thing to be the case remains a mystery. If you're enjoying what it is like to listen to this episode, uh, <laughs> consider supporting <laughs> us by sharing it, telling your friends, uh, giving us a five-star review on iTunes, giving us a subscription on your favorite platform you can find us anywhere you want So at one point he says, every subjective phenomenon is essentially connected with a single point of view. What do you think he's talking about here? Uh, well, I think that kind of goes back to what um, Tononi was talking about with, with like the idea of exclusion. You can't occupy more than one like perspective at once. Cool. Interesting. Um, I was, I was going to ask about this. Um, like I, I'd be interested to, to hear how you get to that conclusion. Cause, cause to me, it's an interesting question. Are all entities that share certain attributes, some actually discrete representations of that one, one single entity? Uh, I think so. I mean, what, what does it mean to share all attributes? So like. But so 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 let's say so so there's certain things that it is like to be a bat, right? Let's say you you spend mm -hmm. a lot of your time hanging around uh, upside down, like he says, 
um, you mm-hmm. you have those webbed fingers. Um, so so there's a lot of things that each bat one to another has in common, right? Mm-hmm. And there are definitely vi- ways that they vary as well. There, there's for every single individual entity, there's something unique about that world state. That's why it is there and not somewhere else, right? That's why it is mm-hmm. what it is and not something else. If every single bat is unique, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But but at the same time, there are things that they share in common that other entities don't share in common. Mm-hmm. So could you take the aggregate of all of those things that they share in common and say that is an entity that is an identity and that that entity is reflected in each of those spots but it is really just the one i i guess it it depends what you mean by really is but but uh, right. <laughs> but i mean but from from our human perspective at least like our like i don't have access to your your experiences like they're all kind of islands right but at the same time there are things that we have in common at common experiences that we can say for sure that we have the same right well have you heard of like the uh have you heard of the inverted spectrum thought experiment no so that's uh like there's no way to really tell if uh what you see is red, I see is purple. Oh, sure, sure. And what I see is purple, you see is red. It's got, like we could be using the same words for the same mm-hmm. phenomena, but we could be experiencing like the exact opposite. And like, uh, uh, I think actually, I think Douglas Hofstadter mentions this in his book, um, "I Am a Strange Loop," and he, I think he he says that's not likely. Like you could you could maybe say the same thing about like um, about high sounds and low sounds. Right. Mm. Although in that case, uh, high sounds will make your like head vibrate, right? And low sounds will make your chest vibrate. Yeah. And so it's there. It's hard to imagine that you would experience the two things as opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you were to look in someone's ear and see the different cilia, right? The different little tendrils that have. I guess different lengths or different thicknesses, right? So that they mm-hmm. resonate at, at different frequencies. Mm-hmm. You would see the at a lower frequency, the the ones that have a lower, a longer wavelength are gonna vibrate, and not the ones at the higher end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, and it, it wouldn't make sense at all that you know brain states and and like sensory data that are very similar would have you know wildly different different effects but yeah I, I don't think it's i don't think it's anything like that that you could consider all the experiences to be one although although i don't know maybe, maybe the experience of like eco death can speak um to that a little bit interesting let's touch back on that in just a second because saying that all shared experiences are one identity isn't this basically the same idea as the union archetypes where you have these emergent conscious like entities that reappear time and time again reflected in different people and different places yeah but is that is that saying anything 
about they like actually exist as the same people like isn't that just saying that there are like certain things that are that are common in human psychology um, like it's not saying they're actually the same people well i think i think jung would probably have taken it as saying that they're actually the same people <laughs> um although he did go in for some pretty out there kind of stuff <laughs> yeah and I mean, every, you know, everyone's genetic code is slightly different unless you have an identical twin. So everyone's kind of a snowflake. Yeah, right. There's certain ways that people deviate, but there's also things that people have in common, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so it's like there is only one experience of what it is like to be X. Um, there's only one entity that is X, right? Mm-hmm. So each entity that encompasses the experience of X, but also includes some other experience, say J, is just a variant expression of X modulated by J. Mm -hmm. so, that, so that entity is X, right? Even though it has J as it, in part of it too, it is X from the perspective of how x interacts with j yeah i mean yeah if if something like panpsychism is true i could totally see that being being the case mm -hmm. so it's like it's like we're taking all these separate entities that have variant expressions of the same identity and kind of structuring them and superimposing them in like a, a tree structure right like they're each mm -hmm. individual leaves, but they all have the same trunk. Yeah, yeah, I can see that being true. Cool. <laughs> um, but it's just another way to look at the world, right? It's, I yeah. mean, it, it, it is contrary to that thing that you just said, that mm -hmm. you can't uh, distill discrete experiences into their constituent parts. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's a curious point. How how did how did this person get to that conclusion? Giulio Tononi, that guy. Yeah. So tell me more yeah. about Giulio Tononi. <laughs> all all I wrote down about him was was those like five components or four I guess four components of consciousness. Well, we can talk about that some other time. Yeah. But I'd be <laughs> curious to see how how he came to that conclusion. I do kind of want to go back to the to the ego death thing though. Yeah, please. Um, which I think I actually may have gotten a glimpse of uh, when I, I did acid on Thursday, <laughs> and I <laughs> I was taking a break from from listening to to uh, the album I was listening to, and I, I just went to the, you know went to the bathroom and was like looking in the mirror, and um, was trying to get myself in that place, and and I think for I don't know how long, maybe maybe just like thirty seconds or something, <laughs> um, I. I felt like there was uh, there was no separation between me and and the rest of the room at least, um, and I, I just wonder if that tells us anything. So is that what ego death is? Is like an experience without an identity of self, or or just that there's no separation between yourself and the rest of everything? Yeah, yeah, like it's uh, it's a uh, consciousness without a center. So yeah, people describe it as, as your sense of self going away or the sense that you're separate from your surroundings going away. 
Um, there's also, um, I think it was Douglas Harding who had this kind of, uh, uh, this kind of metaphor that works well for a lot of people. And, uh, he, he described it as the feeling of, of having no head. Um, and it's a little bit interesting because the, the, when I think I might've had it, I was looking in the mirror. Um, but, um, the exercise is kind of, uh, like you observe that you have a body and then you observe that where your body terminates from what you can see, there's, there's not your head. There's just like the world. Right. Like you can't see behind your own eyes. Right. Right. I, I, the way I kind of think about it too, is like, uh, I don't know. I feel like most people have this perception that it's kind of like that movie Inside Out where there's like you're inside your head looking at the screen. Mm, yeah. Right. And and uh, like you're this little like homunculus riding around in your head, like controlling the levers and stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> but actually there's no screen. It's just like, this is, this is it. Like it, it's uh-huh. just like appearing. <laughs> and, and you're not, uh-huh. you're not separate from it. You just, you just like are the experience. That's really potent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely had experiences like that. Yeah, I, j- I just wonder if that tells us anything about the nature of consciousness that we can, besides just the self being an illusion, or like the self, the self not being necessary for there to be consciousness. But if there is a perception of something isn't that a self even if it's not the same self that you're accustomed to yeah well it is kind of like a semantic thing Mm -hmm. but but whatever you call it uh there's like a difference between feeling like you're inside your head and not feeling like you're inside your head if that makes sense Mm -hmm. would that be the difference between Maybe that difference is uh, a transient identity as opposed to a lasting identity. Interesting. Can you can you say more about that? Where you know, like you have in in chaos systems, you have periods of things happening unexpectedly, and then it'll f- fall into a pattern. You have periods of random things happening and change. Right? It, it's just like unexpected things and then eventually at at random times it sort of coalesces into an expected pattern where it's it seems to get caught in a loop and maybe that to be an identity like a self that is when you're in a loop and then to be in the more transient part is to have an experience of not having an identity yeah, that is, that's really interesting. I think that's that could be totally true. Um, yeah, I mean that book I mentioned, uh, "I Am a Strange Loop." Uh, that's that's kind of his his whole thesis is that your sense of self is this uh, perception that you are perceiving, and that that loop is what mm. creates your sense of self. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I see. Therefore, yeah. I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's interesting to ask which animals have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like maybe the the more complicated the organism, the more entrenched it can become in a loop. Yeah, like I know certain animals will will recognize themselves in a mirror 
and not think that it's another animal. Uh-huh. I, I wonder if that could tell us anything about it. Yeah. But actually, maybe, like, if you consider, like, a cockroach, which is kind of a, a pretty simple organism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it still seems to have a very coherent identity, right? Like, mm-hmm. e- everything that is to be a cockroach, everything that experience is, is it's pretty predictable and so that that's like kind of like a loop right yeah i mean that's more of a loop and just like the same events are repeating i feel like mm-hmm. so so so, um, so maybe it, it's like it is a, an identity loop like to be a cockroach is a very specific identity but th- that identity doesn't encompass a whole lot of experience say the last part one more time well, the, the identity doesn't encompass a whole lot of experience. Like, like if you are a loop, and let's say a human is a really complicated long line that's curling way back on itself in weird ways, then a cockroach is like a, a simple circle with maybe like a little deviation here and there, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because because I would imagine you know for just for the purposes of of self preservation, like every organism has to have some kind of like model of itself Mm. in its, in its brain just to, you know, model itself interacting with the world. And I actually, I think that maybe that means that, that most organisms actually have some kind of sense of self that that just has to do with like Mm self-preservation. But it, it probably doesn't, uh, you know, feel the same at all to what, uh, to what we feel as our sense of self. If, if you get far enough away, uh, evolutionarily yeah um so here's a question how far out can we extend this like you can say a human yeah they're conscious bats yeah they're probably conscious cockroaches yeah yeah probably maybe to some extent and uh what about like single cell organisms like yeah or even like like a tardigrade uh uh-huh yeah um, and like for me, I would say there's there's no distinction. I mean, it's it's the same thing. It's just a matter of scale. They mm-hmm. they are a loop. Therefore, they are an identity. They have an experience, even mm-hmm. if it's a small experience. Yeah, yeah. I would I would uh, probably agree with that. Although, like, yeah, it's interesting because I, I feel like that might be a separate question from whether panpsychism is true. If just like being being a living organism that has to to think about self-preservation and and can well i think i think i don't know maybe this is naive but i think being able to move has something to do with it like i don't think a tree really has any reason to be to be conscious because it can't really do anything about you know besides just you know move towards uh Hmm. well move towards water i I very much disagree i i think that to be a plant is if anything, a more pure experience of of being conscious. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think there there is any reason to make the distinction just because it based on its ability to move. I mean, like to be to be semantical, um, there are trees that can walk around. Do you know that? Uh, maybe I heard that at one point, but for reminding, like, what kind of yeah, in, in South America, there's these trees that have roots and, like, the trunk is 
where it splits out into roots is several feet above the ground and over the course of decades they kind of slide across the ground wow, they, 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 they actually walk and, and considerable distances whole forests that's crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that does kind of connect to um I think I mentioned Rod Roger Penrose's theory of, of consciousness like in one of our earlier episodes, but um uh so his his theory, which is not <laughs> not very well accepted, um uh but I think is really interesting because of the way he came about it, is that uh consciousness has something to do with the, the microtubules in the cells. Right, I heard about that. Yeah. And Part of the reason he thinks that is that um, when you go under a general anesthetic, uh, it, it changes the behavior of the microtubules. Um, and yeah, that's a pretty strong, like, you know, every almost everything else in your brain is staying the same, but but the conscious part gets gets switched off like completely. Mm -hmm. um, and it also has something to do with uh, like the structure preserves quantum coherence. So it's like quantum mechanical effects in there as, as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, that was that was his theory, right? I I don't know uh, if there was actual scientific evidence to back that, but it is an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like one of the big like uh, like heavy hitters of of quantum mechanics in the <laughs> yeah twentieth century. It's like so that uh, field of quantum biology. Yeah. Which totally makes sense to me. I mean, like, if we evolved to take advantage of other physical phenomenon like electromagnetism, which we did, and mm -hmm. and other and other things, then why not quantum stuff as well? Yeah, and it makes sense if we're just completely dumbfounded as to how to explain it using like uh like large scale like chemistry and and you know electromagnetism and stuff. It's like we have this whole other branch of physics that uh. <laughs> that, you know a lot of people are convinced uh can't possibly it be it or you know i, I mean there's a lot there's a lot of like woo woo like new age like oh quantum mechanics is you know that's what produces consciousness and mm. or like like dna itself is conscious which i think is a really interesting idea but uh yeah i doubt it's true <laughs> well so so that then we get into conscious because because i had i had posited earlier when we were talking about ego death that to have an experience without an identity is like a transient transient identity right it's like a transient experience right mm -hmm. um so couldn't you extend that to uh, things that are not like identities right like to to be a dna is a transient uh, experience Right. Well, I don't, I don't know about that because I mean, like your your DNA is is pretty much the same throughout your whole life. Uh, oh. Besides, you know, little mutations here and there. Okay, interesting. So, so, so then, if if we if we're thinking that uh, cockroaches have experience and have that identity, and uh, microorganisms do, then we kind of have to say that DNA does as well. Uh. I don't know about that. I mean, 
Yeah, well, it's a... Yeah, I don't think that the, that necessarily has to be true. So, but... I don't know. Maybe I'm just a hippie. Um, <laughs> but I feel like if, if you extend this out further and further, you, you have these smaller loops right that that are that experience um at a certain point you have to also encompass inanimate objects and forms that do not have the loop but still can be said to exist right totally yeah i mean it, it could very well be that this goes down to the level of like quirks or or strings if strings exist mm-hmm like like every single quark or string or whatever subatomic particle is an experience. Yeah, or that there's like uh just like an electron is is uh is kind of like a disturbance in in a quantum field. Consciousness could be the same way that that each of our brains is uh is just a a like localized peak in in a in a continuous field. It could be something like that. Yeah. And 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 so to t- to be able to draw that parallel, then we could have to conclude that every single electron and everything else is conscious, right? Even if it's a very limited, like, uh, mm. yeah, very very simple consciousness. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in that case, um, and this is something that um is promoted by a lot of pe- people, but um, Bernard Carr is one of them that um the brain is the brain's role isn't isn't to produce consciousness it's to limit it somehow hmm that's kind of like a like yeah. a, a funnel or, or like a receiver or something yeah definitely because we have to have that uh discrete identity right in order to be mm-hmm. the thing that we are we have to be able to say i am x and i am y but i'm not z mm-hmm. yeah so then that kind of implies that in order to exist well, it, it definitely implies that you have to have an experience of the finite, but for that to emerge in what is kind of obviously a world that is infinite, that that means that in order to exist, you have to have both an experience of the infinite and an experience of the finite. Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. And yeah, so, that's like kind of what I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that maybe th- that junction where the finite meets the finite, that is what consciousness is. Mm-hmm. That would be really poetic if it was true. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems pretty true, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, if, if panpsychism is true. Mm. Well, I don't think we even have to take it that far. I think we can say that because we exist in this present moment we can extrapolate that there will always be something that exists somewhere in space-time and so that is uh, an expression of infinity right uh yeah but everything exists in space-time so you can't, I don't know if you can say there's like a causal connection there. Yeah, no, I'm not implying a causal connection. 
just that it's uh, necessary to have both an experience of infinite and an experience of finite simultaneously in order to have any sort of experience. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that being true. Neat. Look <laughs> 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 at this couple of psychotic hippies <laughs> doing drugs. <laughs> Hugging rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking trees have souls. Yeah, jeez. What a fucking bunch of snowflakes. <laughs> Do you think there's anything then that we always have in common with things that are in every other respect? completely alien to us that's a good question i mean i think that kind of gets back to the, the if it's like something to be that thing mm -hmm. like at least we have that in common like the like the lights are on or like something is happening um i mean well uh it does kind of get to the um like the the problem of like the uh, philosophical zombie that there could be something that's exactly like us, you know, even something that's exactly like us where all the same physical processes are occurring and uh, there's no consciousness. Like there's, there's not, that's part of the other thing that's so mysterious is, is uh, like evolution. It's not obvious why we evolved consciousness. Mm -hmm. That might've just been like a fluke, like all, all the same, <laughs> like perception and, you know, avoiding of danger and that kind of thing could have, could still be happening. And you could you could imagine that there's like you could encounter a being who who like appears to be conscious and is is <laughs> telling you how it's conscious and and can you know uh, talk about the same problems but nothing is going on. Um. Hmm. But not if all of the particles that make up that entity are conscious. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> true but yeah we don't know that for sure hmm i mean i don't know i'm personally convinced <laughs> but i am a hippie so yeah i mean no matter what i mean there there's obviously something special about the brain and there's something about living organisms like it 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 seems obvious that that there is a big difference between that and inanimate objects but going back again what if that difference is just that it's on a different part of the chaos structure the chaos pattern where you yeah. have that the loop parts are the the parts that seem to have a coherent identity like biological organisms and the random shit happening part is uh all the other stuff mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I like I like that analogy. I don't think I'd ever really heard someone uh, come up with that. Ah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, doesn't having an experience of ego death, at least for, for if you have that experience, doesn't that prove for you that all of this is true? Um. That's an interesting question. Because because to have an experience like that 
without an identity and yet to still have an experience. You have to recognize that there's something there. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not like you suddenly start experiencing the entire universe. You're still just experiencing the whatever you can sense. Sure, and I, and I'm not implying that every electron experiences the entire universe, but it's still experiencing something, right? Right. Yeah, I, I'm split pretty fifty-fifty. Psychism <laughs> <laughs> is true. <laughs> well, I'll. I mean. Again, I, I I think we're looping back on the same conversation we had about 10, 15 minutes ago because I don't think that we have to go to panpsychism. Yeah, again, again, I just think it's it's uh, really amazing. It just kind of speaks to uh, how big of a question and how hard of a question this is that um, this was written like almost 50 years ago and and it's still like it's still talked about so much and, and we're basically uh we haven't really made that much progress mm. even as 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 far as uh as like medical technology and uh neuroscience has come mm -hmm. yeah and the, the the general discourse is still only just starting to embrace this perspective as something other than pseudoscience garbage <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think ever since David Chalmers in the, uh, in the 90s, like, I think it's been more, like, been more and more mainstream, mm. but, um, yeah. Yeah, but I am hopeful that we'll get at least more of an answer within our lifetime. Mm. Especially, I mean, especially as, as we try to engineer uh, artificial intelligence, that might tell us something. Yeah, make, make it a little bit more plain for us. Mm -hmm. a little more accessible oh yeah although that gets back to the zombie thing <laughs> like we don't actually know <laughs> if something is telling us the truth about that it's having uh uh inner experience well, or not huh, i i don't necessarily buy that that's a, an, an issue but that sounds like an interesting discussion for another yeah. time <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i think we've already gone on for like at least twice as long as the very bad wizard segment on this <laughs> paper. So <laughs> take that. <laughs> yeah. Take that very bad wizards. <laughs> One up you. We, we, we're twice as good a podcast because we go twice as long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Length, length matters. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> We're very mature and professional in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So suck it, very bad wizards. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like to suck it? <laughs> Find out in our next episode. <laughs> Find out if you uh, meet us after the after the session. <laughs> 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 All right. I I think we're done here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>